Welcome to Marx's Voice, bringing you ideas and analysis from Socialist Appeal, the Marxist voice of labour and youth. For regular updates, subscribe to our podcast through SoundCloud, iTunes or any major podcast provider. Or visit our website at www.socialist.net where you can donate and subscribe to our paper online and help support us in the struggle for socialism. Well, comrades, it's great to be back, as they say. I think that uh, short video will give you a, a glimpse of uh, what we did and a glimpse of what's going to happen in the coming period. But before I begin, I'd like to uh, perhaps uh, say that, well, I didn't fully appreciate how mad really the Tories were. Uh, and I've said this quite often that they, they are quite mad, but uh, when I saw Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, give his budget speech on Wednesday and referred to a new era, an age of optimism. And when you think of the uh, enormous plight facing the working class at the present time, you can see what contempt these people have for the lives of ordinary people. Of course, uh, if you were a multimillionaire, which Sunak is, then probably you could have some optimism for your own bank balances. But for ordinary people, for working class people, living in the real year and now, then obviously it's a different picture altogether. They're facing a, a very hard life, which is about to get much harder. But the idea that this is an age of optimism, on the contrary, it's an age of convulsion, an age of turmoil, and an age of, of crisis, particularly for the working class. And this will intensify because it's rooted in the impasse of capitalism in Britain and internationally. Now we've been told that we're in a, a period of, of recovery and we can, we can accept that. After all, we've gone through the greatest and deepest crisis of capitalism in the history of the capitalist system. Obviously, you can't keep on going down and down and down. There comes a certain point when you do reach the bottom and there's a, a bit of a bounce, if you like. A recovery takes place. Uh, the fact is, if there's going to be a recovery, no, it's not the issue. For many workers and many people, it'll be, what kind of recovery are we going to face? And if you remember after 2008 and 2009, when we had a deep slump, we had 10 years of recovery, 10 years of austerity, 10 years of attacks on the working class. In other words, it was a recovery at the expense of the working class. And this is, the, in reality, the nature of the recovery that we're looking at at the present time. 
Of course, we know that the pandemic itself, which has been horrific in Britain, with 50,000 people dead, mainly as a result of the policies and inaction of the Tory government, it must be said. But this has certainly compounded the crisis of the capitalist system. But also, it reveals the rottenness of capitalism. It shows that in a period of, of, of danger, of difficulty, the capitalist system is incapable of measuring up to what needs to be done. And of course, uh, we can see the supply chains around the world, the arteries of world capitalism, have uh, come to a practical standstill. They've, they've been disrupted big time from America to Germany, from Britain to South Africa, everywhere. There's a complete dislocation of these supply chains. And this is a reflection, as pointed out, of the anarchy of the market and the anarchy of the capitalist system. They're incapable of developing resources in order to be used in a rational fashion. The whole basis of capitalism, as we're aware, is based on the maximization of profit and of greed. Uh, things that are celebrated by the Tories. And they believe that these are, they motivate the system. In fact, uh, it shows how, if you like, how the situation, what the situation we are today. If we have to rely on such pathetic uh, means in order to see us through. But of course, uh, the capitalist system is not interested in the long term. It's interested in the short term gains that can be accrued. And the shorter, the better. Therefore, the whole system is based upon uh, hand to mouth, day to day existence, without any planning for the future, any meaningful planning. On the contrary, it's epitomized by the idea that they, they introduced some years ago of just-in-time production. And this was an attempt to squeeze more out of the existing system to, uh, in effect, reduce the uh, stocks to a bare minimum and to stretch the supply chain as much as it could go. And, of course, uh, for the capitalists, it was very good because it would reduce costs. They didn't have to accumulate stocks. And therefore, they would increase their profitability. And it sounds all grand in theory, you know, that uh, all they need to do in their, in their production of commodities, if they, they run out, they just phone and get a supply. The problem is, is when the supply doesn't come. When the supply chain breaks down. And all these links are linked together, hoping and, and depend upon one upon another. But of course, uh, in any breakage, the whole process is put in danger, is dislocated completely. And that's exactly what the system is built upon. This just-in-time, day-to-day existence. And now we see the results of this situation. A complete breakdown in many areas of, of the world itself. There's no investment into infrastructure. There's no investment for the long term. 
And therefore, these shocks, when they come, they come with a, with a virulence. They come with a, an acute uh, uh, feeling as far as everybody is concerned. And as is pointed out, we see the, the bottlenecks and the shortages which have been multiplied over the past period. And as a consequence, the price of shipping, for instance, has gone up by 10 times. You know, the price of gas has gone up five times. That uh, all we see here is, is a, a, a multiplication of the problems of capitalism. In fact, it was a, last week they reported that Felixstowe, which is a, a very important artery for British capitalism, a port, where 40% of all container trade comes through that particular port. And it's completely clogged up. They had to send the, the container ships, which, are, which were backing up in the port, they had to send them back to Europe. They had to send them to Rotterdam. Because there was a shortage of drivers and a shortage of labor to, um, to, to, to disembark the container ships. And this is the kind of crazy situation that we're in at the present uh, moment. And of course, uh, this has resulted in scarcities uh, across the board. 1,000, not 1.4 million actually, people have left Britain in the past period, in the last few years, mainly Eastern European workers. A half a million people have retired or have left the workforce, mainly because they've been burnt out given the pressures of work at the present moment, which has resulted in, obviously, shortages of labour in different key sectors of the economy, such as truck drivers, for instance, uh, such as food processors. Um, and therefore, you have this spectacle in this rational society, so-called, you know, the second decade of the 21st century where food is allowed to rot in the fields and where animals are culled because there's not enough uh, storage place to keep them. They're even talking about the grave disruption at Christmas time. There's, there's not enough turkeys, apparently. That uh, toys will not be delivered to Britain because they're stuck in containers in China. And therefore, they're, they're talking about this, the, that the festive season is in doubt and so on. But this is not going to just last a few months. They're talking about this disruption of capitalism, this man-made uh, uh, event, going to last another year, two years, or even more. This is what the, the situation that they are looking at the present time. And when you consider... This is uh, just part of the problem as far as British capitalism is concerned. We should, we should add the experiment of Brexit to all these problems. And Brexit is probably, should be regarded as probably the greatest um, act of self-harm a country has imposed upon itself, probably in history. I mean, British capitalism was completely linked into the European market of 400 million people. For the last 45 years, 
British capitalism has, has, has given half its exports into um, the, the European Union. And you had these, this, these uh, Tories in particular saying that, yes, we leave the European Union, it's going to free the enormous potential of British capitalism. We'll have global Britain, we'll be able to, to uh, engage in different trade deals with other countries, and it'll be a, a marvellous advance for, for the country in the, in the coming period. Yet, well, anybody with a brain would understand to dislocate the economy in that way, to wrench away from a market of 400 million without any alternative, is going to lead to huge problems confronting cap the capitalist system in Britain. Added to that, because they were desperate, the Tories in particular, were desperate to get Brexit done. And to hell with the consequences, they weren't interested. Johnson wasn't interested. All he was interested in is it was Boris Johnson of winning the election. So he's prepared to promise everything. Everything was going to be wonderful in the north of Ireland. Yes, we can be, there will be no border, no problem. There won't be any checks. And of course, uh, the European Union imposed certain checks in relation to goods going from Britain to the north of Ireland, which has created problems there. Shelves not being filled. Social uh, unrest. And therefore, there's a threat now to um, do away with the protocol, the Northern Ireland Protocol, which is going to bring them into collision with the rest of the European Union. And they are terrified. We're not terrified. They're openly bragging. If it means a trade war with Europe, well, so what? And yet the impact will have on, on, on British capitalism will be extraordinary. And yet they don't seem to, to care or, or, or worry. On the contrary, they, they're making things worse. I just picked up the, the, the paper this evening. On page one, two can play at the game. Ministers fishing row blast to France. In the last few days, they, they have um, entered a huge conflict with the French, were ref being refused access to British uh, waters to, to fish as they had been previously. And of course, uh, this has resulted in a huge clash now. And uh, the French are uh, determined to, uh, to support their fishermen in getting access to British waters. And the, of course, the, the British government are trying to keep them out. Well, the only problem is that uh, the French are in charge of a very important supply line of electricity into Britain, and they're threatening to basically cut, cut the power to Britain. They're talking about blockading the Channel Islands. The British government are threatening to send the Royal Navy in order to confront the French trawlers. I mean, the whole... It, 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 well, you can't even make it up. And they've entered now, in other words, a threatened um, trade war with, with not just the EU, but also with France. One problem upon another problem upon another problem. In fact, I think it was the Institute of Fiscal Studies, not exactly a, a Bolshevik uh, a sort of uh, 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 think tank, which said that the, the dislocation of, of Brexit will, be, will mean, will double the problems facing the British economy as opposed to what the pandemic has been. So you can imagine the, the crisis that's going to bear down in relation to the British economy in the next period. And, of course, the consequences of, are, are going to affect the lives of the working class. 
Therefore, we can see the, the turbulence which exists at the present moment. And the Tories, they're oblivious to it. Absolutely oblivious. You have um, Ian Duncan Smith, who after all, was a, le- a leader of the Tory party. Says about Brexit, I just wish I was 21 again, he says. My goodness, what prospects lie ahead of us for our young people? To be out buccaneering, trading, dominating the world again. I mean, it's, 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 it's madness that these, they have a loser, they, they believe their own propaganda. The idea that, uh, you know, young people will be you know, storming the seas, uh, sinking a few Spanish galleons, <laughs> rebuilding the British Empire. I mean, they're absolutely insane. But that's the, the ideas that they've been brought up with and are pumping out. And you, know, you saw, um, I had to laugh when I saw uh, Boris Johnson then at the Tory party conference with his usual theatrical performance of, uh, full of jokes and bombast and above all super optimism of the glories that are going to be there in the next period because of the Tory government. And of course he, uh, he, pl- he promised as we know a high wage, high skilled economy even criticised some of the business interests, saying, no, you're too reliant on cheap labour. And of course, he promised to, 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 to level up, you know, those areas which have been hammered in the past, deindustrialized, where factory after factory have been closed in Wales and North and so on. He promised to level them up. Well, of course, uh, what he forgot to mention, it was the fact of, it was... Margaret, the, his beloved Margaret Thatcher and the Thatcher government that actually began the deindustrialization and the closure of, of large sections of British industry. They were pr- quite content to carry out the destruction of, of the coal industry, of the steel industry, of shipbuilding, of manufacturing. In fact, the, I remember at the time there was a quip going about that Thatcher had destroyed more industry than Hitler's Luftwaffe in the, in the Second World War. And in, there was a grain of truth in that. Whole swathes of industry went to the wall without any alternative. And, and, and therefore, villages and towns were left to rot under the Tory government and the crisis of capitalism. And all they were doing, by the way, was trying to turn the British economy into a low-wage economy based on service industries in order to revive the profitability of British capitalism. And that, that's the, the Tory legacy and the crisis of capitalism and the idea that the, the Tories and Boris Johnson are going to turn this around magically is, uh, is pie in the sky. On the contrary, the whole position facing British capitalism is one of, of, of a disaster for working people. It was the Tories and the capitalists who, wanted, who, who chanted the mantra of the market, of privatisation. They're the ones who wanted outsourcing. You know, we have to free the market and, and get rid of the shackles and so on and so forth. They were the ones who brought in temporary contracts. 
zero-hour contracts. They're the ones who reduced the living standards of the working class. They're the ones who carried out a counter-revolution on the factory floor, which led to the disaster for working people up and down the country. That was the reality of it. And of course, they did it in order to prop up an ailing British capitalism. But of course, uh, uh, they did increase profitability. It is true, profitability did increase, but didn't solve the problems. We still have the parlous nature of British capitalism, even at the present time. It's like this, the sick man of Europe or on the edge of Europe at the present time. That's the position that we have. And of course, uh, there will be no leveling up. They'll be leveling down. There won't be any increases in wages for the working class, real increases. There'll be cuts in real income, as we've seen in the past. The last decade, the last decade of coalition Tory Liberal government as well, was a decade of cuts of real wages of the British working class. And that decade, they've never seen such a cut. You have to go back 200 years. You have to go back to the Napoleonic Wars in order to see a decade where there's been such a cut. Therefore, that's the, the reality under the Tory government, the reality facing the working class at the present moment. And of course, you can see it in front of you. As we mentioned, the inflation. Already they're talking, the Bank of England again is talking about inflation of 5%. Others are talking about 6%. And yet wages have barely risen. And they talk about, oh, we're going to, we're going to give an extra, what, what was it, 59 pence an hour on, on the minimum wage. Even the, uh, you know, Institute of Fiscal Studies said it's going to evaporate like that, given the inflation rates. But of course, uh, the fact that gas and electricity and energy prices are going up, that's going to really hit home to the poorer sections. We have, we'll see the increase in fuel poverty, which will affect millions of people, as, we, as they have now, food poverty. So they'll be faced with the choice of either eating or heating their homes and keeping their families either fed or, or keeping them warm this winter. That's the reality for millions. And they talk about levelling up. And they cut, as they know, as you all know, you know, the benefits. This uh, universal credit of £20, nearly £100 a month out of the pockets of the poorest sections of society, which will affect millions of people. And again, that's the reality of life facing our class at this present time. And therefore, it is, yes, a cost-of-living disaster for many people. And therefore, what we have to understand that, um, yes, the situation is not improving, but on the contrary, is deteriorating. The idea of optimism, where does that fit in to the lives of ordinary people? And incidentally, it's just worth, as an aside, just recognizing the fact it wasn't so long ago that the reformists were laughing at the Marxists that we were out of date. These ideas didn't reflect reality. The class struggle is out of date. What are you talking about? Crisis of capitalism. They had a big laugh about that. 
But who's laughing now? The reality is that British capitalism had the deepest crisis for 300 years. 300 years. A 10% fall in GDP in one year. Unprecedented. And that's, the, again, an indication of the parlous nature of British capitalism. Of course, we have COVID, which has compounded the problem. But of course, then all these free marketeers rush into the state to get bailouts and handouts. You know, oh, how wonderful the market is. But once it's in difficulties, they demand that the state bails out the market. You know, that's the whole basis of And they did it in 2008, 2009. And of course, we were then asked to pay the bill. And that's why you've seen the amount of borrowing going up to a level of £260 billion and an astronomical level in peacetime. The national debt is over 100% of GDP because of the bailing out of the capitalist system of big business. And yet, who's going to pay the bill? I think Sunak, I just got a, I had a quote from him somewhere, the road ahead will be tough, he says. Yeah, well, tough for whom? Not tough for the billionaires than the millionaires, that's for sure. After all, they salted their money away in the, you know, different islands the, uh, and, and the bank accounts where it can't be uh, looked upon and seen upon. And all this has come out in the, the Pandora Papers of all the, the intrigues. And we've only seen a little bit of it, of how they, they basically salt away their wealth in order to avoid taxes. But of course, of the working class, they will get hammered as they have been, uh, been hammered in the last 10 years. So that's the real life for the working class, one of extreme difficulties. And therefore, there's no, as you would expect, there's an enormous amount of anger and bitterness in society as a consequence. The, the idea of optimism and, and happiness, that's out the window for millions of working class uh, families at the present uh, moment. Of course, this whole position is building up. It's like a pressure cooker. This mood, this, 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 this enormous disenchantment in society, particularly amongst young people. It's building up and building up in a very explosive fashion. And it will, it's going to create a social explosion in Britain because they're keeping down the lid. They're forcing down the lid. But the, this pressure is continually building up and building up. And of course, as was pointed out, we've seen our, our bin workers have gone on strike. We've seen railway workers going on strike. We've seen the fact that local authority workers and health workers have balloted for industrial action because of the poultry offer they've been given, the, the miserly offer, when they were prepared to put their lives on the line in relation to this pandemic. That's the way they've been treated. And therefore, yes, there's going to be anger and bitterness and there's going to be a wave of strikes. And given the sectors that they, they uh, cover, you could have the move towards a public sector general strike. That's in, incipient in the situation, on pay alone. So the whole situation is going to bubble up in the next period. People have had enough. People have had a gutsful of promises and false promises. And all the rhetoric that comes from the Tories means nothing because the realities of life 
is fundamentally uh, different. And therefore, yes, this is the development of the class struggle, which brings me on to the next sub subject. You know, the greatest representative of the class struggle, Sakia Starmer, <laughs> the leader or the bleeder of the official opposition, Her Majesty's opposition. Opposition, what a, what a joke. I mean, the way he talks, he's like a, a junior member of the, of the Tory administration, of the cabinet. It's a Me Too policy. And the reason for that, he, he adopted the, this idea of a constructive opposition. Constructive. When the Tories are stamping on the working class, it shows that they, they have basically similar views together. But of course, you know, he's got he's one eye on the Tories, another eye on the Labour Party. And as we said, he's embarked upon a witch hunt in the Labour Party in order to root out the, the ranks. In other words, to, to clear out all the Corbyn movement entirely. And the reason for that is that Starmer is a faithful representative of the ruling class. And he sees that he carries out their orders. And so do the right wing in the Labour Party. They're agents of the ruling class. And the ruling class had a big fright in 2015 when they lost control over the Labour Party. In the past, when the right wing controlled the Labour Party, it was fine. In fact, when the Tories weren't doing too well, well, bring the Labour Party to power. Let them create, you know, solve the mess, clear up the mess and pave the way then for another Tory government later on. It was like musical chairs. And it was a certain stability for capitalism. You know, in this, this uh, tweedly-dum, tweedly-dee kind of situation. Until 2015, and Corbyn wins the leadership of the Labour Party. The Labour Party then is uh, transformed by hundreds of thousands of members joining. It's shifted to the left. It terrifies the ruling class. And of course, uh, they recognise that uh, if Corbyn comes to power... It's not just Corbyn, but the forces that, that will support Corbyn, the millions of people who are looking for change because of the capitalist crisis, that he can go far further than even he anticipates. And therefore, for, the, for capitalism, it was a very dangerous time. And therefore, they saw the need to destroy the Corbyn movement. They weren't going to give up because they had the agents in the Labour Party in the Parliamentary Labour Party. That cesspit of, of careerism, that cesspit of, of Tory interests, if you want it that way, who were interested in preserving the capitalist system. And they do the bidding of capitalism. They are for the establishment. They are part of the establishment. And they decided to stay in the party and sabotage Corbyn. And that's what they did. Every single day, they reverted to stabbing him in the back, using the media, the mass media, to undermine him, to call him whatever, a Russian agent, a Czech agent, a terrorist, you name it. They were all thrown against Corbyn in order to discredit him. But of course, uh, it didn't stick that, that well. And they, they then stumbled on the idea of anti-Semitism. And they saw that that began to have an effect. 
And they thought if they could throw more muck against it, some of it will stick. But instead of the left leadership fighting back and exposing what was going on, they retreated. And that was fatal. And we have to learn the lessons of these mistakes that were made. Our task as Marxists is not to prettify the situation or brush you know, the problems under the carpet. We have to learn the mistakes that were made. And the fundamental mistake was not moving to get rid of the right wing when they had the opportunity. When the left was in charge of the party and the ranks were eager to do their bidding, they could have easily brought in, in 2018, open selection. And that meant that all these Labour MPs will be put, made accountable to the rank and file of the Labour Party. And if they had done that, they would have got rid of them. A lot of them would have split from the Labour Party. Like, the, like a handful of them already did. But the point is that the Corbyn leadership, unfortunately, and the advisors to Corbyn, gave the wrong advice. They said, no, go easy. Don't do that. Why? Because you'll provoke a split. And we mustn't have a split because it would endanger the general election. And therefore, they tried to cool things down. They talked about unity in the party when the right wing was stabbing them in the back every single day. They were getting away with murder. And yet the left weren't carrying the fight to where it should have been carried to. If in 2018 they would have carried the tie, it would have been a fundamental change. But we were held back. Even when we launched the campaign to restore Clause 4 in the Labour Party, the socialist aspiration, you know, we had 62% of constituency parties voted in favour of bringing Clause 4 back to nationalise the major economy in the, in the country. But unfortunately, it was defeated because the trade unions voted against and they were getting instructions from Corbyn's department not to support it. And that was 82% against the NEC, by the way, against the leadership. It showed the potential that was there. If they raised their little finger, they could have swept out the right wing, swept out these agents. But they refused to do it. And that sealed their fate. That was decisive. Because weakness invites aggression. And when the right wing saw they weren't, the left wasn't serious, they stepped up the sabotage. They sabotaged the general election in 2017. Corbyn could have won it. He could have won it. But these people preferred a Tory government to a Corbyn government. In other words, these are absolute traitors. How could he unify with these people? And they should have realised that, but they didn't. Unfortunately, it's the characteristic of left reformism. There's an attempt, left reformism, despite its niceties, attempts to work within the capitalist system. They think by reforming capitalism, they can solve some of the problems of the working class. They can't. But the idea of, of trying to, to reform capitalism also gives, which shows a political weakness, is also a reflection 
of an organizational weakness as well. In other words, they weren't prepared to fight to the end the right wing and get rid of them. They were always compromising and appeasing the right wing, which gave the right wing more and more strength as far as they were concerned. So we have to therefore understand the lessons in 2019 then, the defeat of the election, uh, the confusion that was, that, was, that was there. The left were apologising, apologising for anti-Semitism, apologising for the defeat. And it led to demoralisation in the party. And people started to leave. And Starmer came along in offering unity and a continuation and all the other lies in order to get elected. And once he was elected, as per, per the book, he cleared out all the right, all the left wing from the shadow cabinet. And they started a purge in the party, which ended with the removal of Corbyn from the parliamentary Labour Party and the Labour Party was suspended. They managed to get him back into the party, but not into the PLP. And he remains to this day, not in the parliamentary Labour, not a Labour MP. They've kept him out. But where was the revolt? It was, it was constituency parties who passed resolutions, it's true, against it. And they were suspended, or individuals were suspended. But why, was, why didn't all hell break loose under those circumstances? Why didn't they use the full force of the support they had in the rank and file to paralyze the right wing? Better late than, lever, late than never. They should have done it a long time before. But there was a crux. Getting rid of Corbyn, that was like delivering the head on the plate. And if they did that, they would further demoralize the rank and file. And what happened? 150,000 members left the Labour Party in despair, in demoralization in disillusionment because there was no fight of the left. That's the problem that they had. And that gives sustenance to the right wing to increase their attacks. And therefore they carried out further and further suspensions of members. And we saw at the National Conference how they got the, they, they gerrymandered delegates, they closed down constituencies. They were carrying through a counter-revolution in the Labour Party. Of course. And when it came to last July, yes, they managed to ban socialist appeal, which added again to, where was the fight then? Where was the left? I ask you, the campaign group of socialist Labour MPs, I think there's 36 of them, not a word not a word was ushered when we were banned. And then we had momentum. It is true that the six at the NEC level voted against the, the prescription of, of social appeal and three other organisations. But where was the mob? Where was the campaign? You know, some momentum supposed to have had 100,000 supporters. Why weren't they mobilised? Why wasn't it a call for action? No, no, no. He was past the mustard please, I'm afraid. On the contrary, momentum put out the circular. And when you read it, you were, you were left dumbfounded. And it's just worth reading some of it. The proposed auto-expulsion of members only strengthens the Tories. Okay. 
The Labour Party has always been a home to a wide range of political traditions. And we have a responsibility to work with each other to build support for socialist policies. We must collaborate with each other in the spirit of tolerance and respect. I mean, how can you have tolerance and respect for the enemies of the working class in the Parliamentary Labour Party? What are these right-wingers if they are not agents of the ruling class? It is a class question, not a moral question. And therefore, the idea that we should be tolerant of the right-wing and tolerant of their, their antics and their sabotage, because that's what you're talking about, is a betrayal, really, of the rank and file. And no wonder people left the party when there was no fight under those circumstances. And, of course, the idea that somehow, well, you know, if it doesn't rock the boat too much, that they will escape being prescribed, I think they're sadly mistaken. Because once they got rid of Social Appeal and three others, they'll come for more. It's, quite, it's as clear as a bell. It's only a question of time before they get rid of Because the whole idea is to cleanse the Labour Party completely of Corbynism. That is the, the demand of the ruling class. And that's what they are going to do. And that's what they are doing. And therefore, you know, the idea of, of the lack of fight and the lack... I mean, they, they raised the idea, you know, stay and fight. But there was no fight. There's all emphasis on stay. And therefore, people just gave up the ghost because they saw no real alternative under those circumstances. But, uh, you know, uh, they've banned us, but uh, it's not going to deter us. You know, you cannot ban the ideas of Marxism from the working class. You cannot ban the ideas of Marxism from the labor movement, particularly when the crisis of capitalism is so great and the ideas of Marxism more and more corresponds with the views and ideas that people begin to have. And therefore, the ideas of Marxism will grow and grow despite these attacks from the right wing. It doesn't deter us whatsoever, but confirms we are right. They say you shouldn't be a member of the Labour Party, Social appeal because you have... Your, your values are not those of the Labour Party. Well, they're certainly not the values of the, of the right wing. That is true. We stand on the idea of socialist revolution. We stand for a, for a complete overthrow of capitalism in Britain and internationally. We do not compromise in those ideas because we know it is capitalism which creates the problems confronting the working class. And therefore, that's our position and that's where we'll stand. But these ideas will resonate. Because of the crisis, the right wing defend capitalism. The only problem for that, they, them is that capitalism is in deep crisis. It cannot no longer re, re, cannot deliver reforms. Or if it is, they, they give with one hand and take with the other. In other words, there's no lasting reforms under capitalist crisis. The right wing will therefore crumble because they cannot deliver anything for the working class. But the working class will not be now be looking towards the Labour Party as they did in the past. 
They look towards the industrial front. They have to fight the fight on the industrial plane. They have to take action in order to preserve their living standards in that field. And we will, we, we will be with them. We will fight with the working class. We will show that our ideas also correspond with their needs as well. And in the period that lies ahead, with this deepening crisis of world capitalism, recovery, but not in a recovery for the working class. More hardship, more squalor, more, well, attacks on the living standards, reductions in living standards, austerity for the working class. And therefore, anger and bitterness and a desire to fight and struggle and look for a way out. Therefore, these titanic events that are about to unfold in Britain will transform the entire situation. I believe a new left will emerge. The present left has shown they're inadequate for the, for the realities that we have. And it shows it's a crisis of leadership. You know, if we had had, to be honest about it, five or 10,000 Marxists in 2015, the Corbyn movement would have been fundamentally different. We would have defeated the right wing because we would have gained the leadership of momentum. We would have carried the struggle of the right wing. We'd have made a fundamental difference at that time. It's a question of leadership, it's a question of backbone, if you like, for the struggle. And we would have provided that backbone, a perspective. And therefore, it would have been fundamentally different. But what we have to draw, the conclusion we have to draw from that is on the basis of event, a new left will emerge, a stronger left, a more determined left, one with more grit and, grit and determination, more of a backbone. But they'll still need the forces of Marxism, in my opinion, in order to steal it and direct it. And our task, surely, is to understand that in the future left, we have to be there at the right time, at the right taste, place with the right ideas. We have to build up a force of five or 10,000 Marxists. At the moment, we've got about 1,000. We have to get to 5,000. We have to get to 10,000. Then we can become a, a factor in the situation, particularly as the left develop in the labor movement, and it spills over. And then the, these ideas that we have will correspond to the feelings of the militant workers who are drawn into struggle that we can provide not just the backbone, but the ideas and perspectives and analysis that the only way out for the working class is the overthrow of capitalism itself. And these ideas can grow and develop on the basis of the events themselves. Consciousness will change. Consciousness will be transformed. And the ideas of Marxism will become more and more attractive as a consequence. And therefore we say to the comrades who are not members, of social appeal, join us. If you're prepared to make that effort, those sacrifices for the future and the future success of the, of the British Revolution, because that's what you're talking about, as part and parcel of the world revolution, then join us in the fight. And those comrades who are comrades and members of the social appeal, step up, per se, step up, because events are gonna shake the entire working class and we have to be prepared. We cannot lag behind, and we are lagging behind. We have to redouble our efforts, because on the basis of the events that impend, the basis of the renewed left which will arise, and a strong Marxist tendency, and the revolutionary conclusions that workers will join, 
that the socialist revolution will be on the agenda in Britain and elsewhere. And with the correct leadership, it can be a successful revolution. But that depends on us, no one else, comrades. So our task is to build the forces of Marxism, prepare for the future, to lead a successful revolution in Britain as a stepping stone for a successful world revolution in the coming period. Yeah. <laughs>